Right now, though, it's our friend Tyler Yeremchuk joining us live from... You have a busy day. You've been talking to Frank. You've been talking to... Um, who did you have a, a little while ago? I can't remember now. Um, Ryan Whitney. Ryan Whitney, right. I had it written down. I can't find it. Ryan Whitney, you, you've been talking with all the big stars today, man. Well, low tide, I like to think of myself as a bit of a big star. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it was great. Uh, Frank, I mean, whatever. I talk to Frank every day. Who cares? Ryan Whitney was <laughs> unbelievable today. I mean, the dude loved the Oilers. He gave some great insight, shared some really good stories about his time at Edmonton. It was it was awesome getting to catch up with him. Well, what I like about Ryan Whitney, and it's very obvious, he, he's a fan. I know he's a very fine player for a long time, but he's an Oilers fan because as high yeah. as he gets when they win, he gets low like the rest of the Oilers fan base when they're not doing well. And that I, to me, that's endearing because he like he lives and dies with this team. Yeah, he does, and that's kind of what we talked about today. He was like, hey, I said some things when they were doing bad that I regret. And I said, Wit, I tweeted that the Connor McDavid era was unraveling right in front of our eyes. I said, it's okay. We all say dumb stuff. Like, it's not a big deal. And we kind of went from there. I, I, I said, I wrote an article that was basically, make your peace with whatever God you pray to. So we all thought it was over. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's easy now to sit and be happy and whatever, but it is, Think back to your mindset, Oilers fans, of what it was like on November 9th or 10th or whatever it was when they sat and lost to the San Jose Sharks. It was ugly, and we really did think. Lotide, you and I had a conversation yep. where you were basically saying, like, hey, do you just play the kids? Do you just bring everyone up from Bakersfield <laughs> yeah. and see what you got and punt on the year? And, like, that's where we were at. But, hey, winning 24 of 28 games, that'll uh, cure a lot of your problems, Lotide, the old 10-game heater. Well, and you predicted that like 20 years in a row and it finally hit. Yeah. Hey, blind squirrel, right? Or sorry, a broken <laughs> clock, right? Twice a day or something like that. That's basically what, uh, how, how I like to view my analysis. Uh, you did write, speaking of analysis, uh, you did write an article that, that based on information we're getting now um, is true. I think it was a day ago you wrote about Tarasenko. Uh, being a fit and it sounds based like what I'm reading is that you know he's changing agents he might be open to coming here Tarasenko is an interesting guy do you like him say on Dreisaitl's wing I do he's not my number one target and he's not a guy and I believe I wrote this who I'm not going out right now to jump the market a month ahead of the deadline and get Vlad Tarasenko I'm still keeping in uh, you know the opportunity open if Jake Gensel shakes loose I'm intrigued to see what New Jersey does and if Tyler Foley could maybe be an option like that. Travis Konechny, Pavel Buchnevich, these more longer-term fits. There are names I like more than Vlad Tarasenko, but not a single one of those names I just rattled off are guaranteed to be moved. It's starting to sound like Vlad Tarasenko is trending in the direction of guaranteed to be moved. So that's why I think he's an interesting fit because if you get there on deadline day and it's like, okay, Philly's not moving, connect me. Pittsburgh's in the hunt. They like Gensel, whatever. You can't afford Buchnevich. Then I think you can sit there and go, Ottawa, we got a second round pick. We got a B-level prospect for you. You need to keep 50%, find a team to keep the other 25%, and we'll give you a couple assets for Vlad Tarasenko. And I think he's quite honestly, the best check down option on the market. And it's also true, disagree if you if you don't agree, but 
I just think this is a great chance. You've got a month here to see what Dylan Holloway can do. And I'm not suggesting he's going to solve all problems, but you're likely going to slide him in maybe on a line with Fogel and McLeod. And and maybe, you know, Fogel's up on the the second line and Holloway might take on a bigger role. But you you want to see him. You want him to stay healthy. All of those things can happen in the next month. And you'll know a little bit more about a player who looks really good but has a difficult time scoring and staying healthy. Yeah, I think that's kind of, in a way, too, what they're going to do on the blue line here in the next little bit. Let's move DeHarnay up. Let's see what we really have on him. How hard can you push Vinny DeHarnay? And I don't think they're going to come out of this little month stretch here and be like, well, let's trade Cody Cece because Vincent DeHarnay is suddenly a top-pairing D-man. No, that's not happening. But if Vinny shows he can swim, maybe not, or maybe not swim, but stay afloat in this role with Darnell Nurse, then I think that changes how you view the need to go out and get defensive support as well. If you're like, hey, if we get dealt a blow on the blue line, CC or Bouchard goes down, like, okay, we now know we can trust Vinny with a little bit more. Like this next month, because you've built yourself up some goodwill in the standings with this winning streak, this next month can really be about experimenting a little bit and really finding out the answer to some important questions in yep. terms of your own roster. Yeah, I think that's. I think this is a, a, a and Holland. I mean, some people think he and I. I think with like Evan Bouchard development, he did slow play it too much. But this is when you want him to be patient because you've got all this time. You wrote about it being a a, a seller's market. Do you see them getting say Tarasenko and a big time defenseman, or is it one or the other? No, I think the Oilers need to be so aggressive that they go grab a couple. And again, like my dream target on the blue line, I've come to terms with the fact I am a Chris Tanev guy. I want the Oilers to go get them. On the forwards, I just listed off all the names I like. I don't think you can do both an A-plus ad on the blue line and an A-plus ad on the forward group. But I do think, you know, Chris Tanev, Frank is saying he's only going to cost you a second-round pick, maybe just a little bit more than that. So I think you can get a Tanev and then go also get a Vlad Tarasenko, but I don't think they have the cap space to do a Tanev and a Konechny or a Tanev and a Buchnevich just because those guys have term. It's going to be very hard to convince a team like St. Louis or Philly to keep money on a player with term. So I think they got enough in them for an A-plus ad and a B-plus ad kind of thing. You, you like Tanev because he has the same haircut as you. Is that what this is about? Well, I always wear a hat, so it kind of hides it. But I will say his hairstyle, not great. <laughs> okay. Uh, DNB uh, from The Athletic reporting that uh, notes from Knobloch for tonight's game. Pickard starts. Perry is playing up with Drysaddle and Kane. Undecided about the D-pairs. What did you think about the D-pairs with Nurse and, and uh, DeHarnay and uh, um, Ekholm with CeCe? So I like seeing what we got here in Vinny. Like, why not? He's playing some really good hockey. He's clearly confident. He's co-dragging guys at the blue line. Like, come on. So see what you got with Vinny. What I don't like, and it feels a little bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is taking Bouchard away from Ekholm. I just think those two have been so good together for the last 11 months, basically, since Ekholm arrived in Edmonton that it's like, why are you messing with a good thing? I think CC Nurse can get stale at times. I think your third pairing, who cares? Give Vinny a look, but I wouldn't have messed with Bouchard Echo. Where where do you see Perry landing? Like when we're opening night of the playoffs, is Brown out and the depth chart on right wing is Hyman, uh, Tarasenko, Perry, Gagne, or do you see do you see 
Brown making it as the fourth line guy and say, I don't know, Derek Ryan not playing? It's interesting because, I mean, there's another factor in this, and it's Matthias Janmark makes a million bucks, and he's more expensive than both Brown and Derek Ryan. So if you're in a cap crunch for the rest of the regular season, is there a world where Matthias Janmark has to go sit in Bakersfield to make the money work for a little bit? Like, mm, potentially. Point. So maybe Connor Brown gets a shot on the left side because Janmark's down in the minors. I think that's something that could be entirely possible. Um, but yeah, I think the most likely outcome is they add a right winger and Connor Brown is your 13th forward. Sam Gagne is then your 14th forward at that point and everyone gets shuffled down. Corey Perry will be in a fourth line role where hopefully he can you know, be trusted with 10 minutes still. Like, it'd be nice to go into a playoff run where the Oilers' fourth line plays more than seven minutes a night, right? Yeah. I, I, uh, the only thing I blanch about, uh, and I like I, this sounds so ridiculous, I just know they're going to have a really good third line and then not use it because they're going to be running the hell out of McDavid and Dreisaitl. D- do you think about that at all? I, yeah, like I do, but I also think Chris Knobloch has shown a pretty good – he can restrain himself there. Like Jay Woodcroft, I love him, and I think this turnaround, I still stand by it. Maybe they wouldn't have won 16 in a row, but they would have gotten back in the playoff hunt with Jay Woodcroft. I always need to throw that caveat out there. But one of the things I didn't like about him was they would go down one nothing in a hockey game, and it was Connor and Leon for the rest of the night. And I think Knobloch has shown a bit more restraint there. You know, there were moments in that winning streak where they'd be losing through halfway through the halfway point of the game, and he would just nope, keeping them apart. So I think Knobloch has shown a bit more restraint in that regard. So I'm slightly confident that he will value the bottom parts of his lineup, but it's also a bit of a chicken in the egg debate too, where it's like, okay, does the coach not trust them because they aren't playing good? Are they not playing good because they're not getting ice time? Like what's the real deal here? So again, over the next month, if Holloway, Fogel and McLeod can show, Hey, the three of us can score, we can pull our own weight. Then I don't think we're going to run into that problem with the bottom six, not playing. Who in your opinion was the worst at like, I think McClellan waited until the end of the anthem to play dry saddle and McDavid, but Tippett was on it pretty early, maybe even at the start of the, the American anthem. Who was the worst at staying away from dry saddle and McDavid at five on five? I, you know what? And even uh, when Woodcroft first took over, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say he was better at it mm-hmm. at first. But I think it's one of those things where once you start to face pressure, you have this option and you know it works so often that like you want to keep going back to it in these short moments, in-game moments, when you know long-term wise it's not what's best for the team. So I, I honestly think it's – and it'll probably happen with Knobloch, if we're being honest, by year three of him behind the bench – he will just have it in his head. And when, you know, maybe they've lost three in a row and people start the murmurs of, ooh, is his job safe? Because, you know, we'll get there with him. We get there with every head coach. It'll start to be like, well, I got to win this game for my job. I'm going to throw them together. Or, you know, I got to win this game to give us a better shot at home. I'll throw them together. So I just think it's one of those things, coaches, it, it develops into a crutch. I don't think any of them loved being the one who did it, you know? Yeah, it's actually very fair. Um what are you doing for the Super Bowl, or do you care since your team is long gone? I mean, I'll watch. I'm not betting on either side to win. I'll probably just get my fix by betting on a bunch of props and things like that. But I'll be honest, I'm not that jazzed up for it. And I fully admit it's because I'm a salty Bills fan, but that's part of being a sports fan. If it was the Leafs and Flames in the Cup Final, I don't think a lot of Oilers fans would be too thrilled. No, it's true. Uh, what do you think of my – I go I like, on the way home every day – I stop at every church I pass, light a candle. I want Leafs-Oilers in the Stanley Cup final. 
Yeah, I mean, sure. Time that up with a nice uh, uh, federal election, too, and we'll have a civil war on our hands low time. Let's go. I love it. All right. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. See you, LT. All right. There's Tyler, your M check.